everybody real quick, you mentioned it, it's a term of art. We kind of understand it. But when you said you stacked up with the team, let people know from like a SWAT standpoint, when you guys, you, you stacked up and you're doing this, kind of describe people what we're going to, if they were looking at it, what they would be saying. So you, you got a line of, uh, of guys, obviously in tactical gear, um, picking up areas of responsibilities, literally in a line, sometimes a, a, another uh, line next to it. So we'll call it double stack, depending on the configuration. Um, you have uh, positions interwoven uh, in that. So you have a team leader uh, that's directing uh, uh, you know, directions of travel. Um, you have a, a canine that's inter- interwoven in that. And you have canine cover. You have breachers uh, interwoven in that. So if we uh, approach a door or a uh, some something that needs to be breached, then that those those people will go forward uh, with cover breach. And then you got your points who are kind of leading the 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 snake, uh, you know, to kind of cover this area and get it adequately searched with the help of a canine uh, to see if we can find the suspect. Now you also mentioned. You got kitted up. Can you explain for our listeners what you mean when you say that? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, we wear uh, at our department. Everybody calls them the green jammies. You know, it's the the OD green tactical. You know, wear. So you got you know your pants, tactical pants, tactical shirt. Uh, you have a three A uh, level vest or so rifle rated vest. Um, uh, have a AR fifteen. Uh, we have our helmets rifle rated helmets with, uh, with night vision, uh, if needed, it wasn't needed in this, uh, situation. Um, you got a medical kit, uh, obviously your, your firearm drop holster, uh, as a secondary, uh, primary weapon is your rifle, uh, or shotgun. If you're carrying shotgun, I was blessed to have all three. Um, and yeah, so that's your, that's your full kit gloves, you know, um, face mask, a lot of stuff is fire retardant. Basically, your kit is your gear. Yes, all your gear um, to protect you as much as needed, but also allow you to, um, you know, to provide, to do a, a multifaceted deal. Like for me, I had, you know, breaching shotgun on a magnet on my back, uh, you know, rifle obviously is my primary weapon. Secondary weapon is your, uh, your, um, handgun, uh, medical kit, very important, which obviously came into play on this situation. Um, uh, so yeah, all those little things, Kim lights for, you know, clearing, uh, to show the things have been cleared. Um, so yeah, just, uh, all the gear you, you feel you need to, to be safe, to go get, to come to a safe resolution. All right. So you're, you're all stacked up, Brian. Like I said, we, you know, we've got the kits. We know what you're equipped with. And, and that's the other thing, too, is you have to have enough to, to protect you. But if you get too big, you look like a knight and you look like one of those knights on horseback, you know, involved in jousting. You can't do shit except fall off your horse and lay there. And so you can't get up. <laughs> I've fallen and I can't get up. Um, <laughs> like Ask a Kevin turtle. Roll that. me over. Somebody roll me over. Ask Kevin about <laughs> oh, that. Okay. I'll, I'll let him tell on himself. Before we get into the serious. No, 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 no. Before we get into the serious shit. Okay. You got to tell us. You got to rat him out. Narc on him, man. Come on. Uh, we were doing a training one time and uh, there was some, actually some high school kids watching us. So, you know, we were trying to do, be our badasses and we had this house and we were breaching the door and going to go in. Well, just like anything else, we got lazy with our tactics and uh, number one stops at the doorway. Well, 
number two, three are all kind of looking down like they shouldn't be and should have their heads up. Well, they end up hitting number one, number two, (laughs) Kevin's in that. Uh, I think he was either one or two and then took a step back and about five operators all dominoed backwards laying on each other in front of these high school kids. And we're supposed to be this high speed, you know, team. And uh, I remember Kevin kind of just wobbling side to side, trying to trying to get his roly poly ass out of the out of the muck. Uh, there's a couple stories oh, like Kevin, that. Kevin, you didn't tell us that part, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that looks like one of those videos of people out skiing, you know, and they're stacked up and one guy trips and he knocks everybody over in line. <laughs> yes. He's like the kid from uh, oh. the Christmas story that couldn't get up in his in his uh, winter gear. Yeah, uh, uh, Randy. It yes. was Randy. Yeah. <laughs> looks so, like a mystery of the man. <laughs> payback's a bitch, Kevin. Oh, That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> payback for that picture, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's just to start. Okay, now to the serious stuff. So, back to our that was a that was not aggression, folks. We have a drinking game. If we digress, uh, no, this is the good stories, man. This yeah, is but the it's still a digression. <laughs> yeah, but so, but we asked for so. But hey, take a drink anyway, as long as it's not an IPA. Uh, let's get back to this. So, now let's get into that. So you're stacked up. You're ready to go. Um, how many people are in your stack? How many people do you have available for you for this next part of the uh, operation? So that's an interesting point too. Is uh, it was a holiday, uh, obviously Veterans Day. Um, policy in, on that day was we ran with bare minimum. Um, so our team that day, I believe we were stuck with eight, um, which is for a yard to yard search of nine houses of probably roughly at least a quarter acre, you know, lots, if not more third acre, uh, very, very taxing, um, for eight people. Uh, you know, and then you got, you have canine and, uh, helping out and we had more, we had three canines, I believe. Uh, so we were, we were running, we were pretty short. Uh, and that's why when I got there late, um, I felt like the sergeant was pretty believed that we had another one there to, to throw in the stack. Um, and so that's when I picked up on the second house. And so we enter this, uh, this yard, but prior to entering the yard, we obviously, you know, we live in Idaho, a lot of guns in Idaho, a lot of people that, you know, are very particular about, you know, their houses and their yards. And so we try to make sure we make contact with people. So we're not having any kind of friendly fire or or issues that way. Um, And this house, I believe when they made contact, they couldn't come to the front door. And uh, we started to think he was in that house and we were going to have a hostage situation uh, I guess coming to find out they kind of had a little bit of a hoarder situation uh, and there was no way to get to the front door. Uh, and so they were just talking through the window. Um, so we, we relieved that uh, and then did the search uh, unbeknownst to us suspect was immediately to the house, to our East. Um, so pretty pretty close also had a history of hiding in trees from past incidents with with us so we had a what they call it a um 560 um um you know range of of uh, area of responsibility so guys are guys are covering trees 
Uh, we're covering deep in the other yards because it was a chain link fence. Uh, canines doing searches into a pretty um, dense backyard uh, with boards covering up holes. Uh, and that leads me to another deal where we had another shooting with a guy that actually hit in the floor uh, with some construction being done with a board over the top of him. Uh, and we walked right on top of him at one point. Um, matter of fact, another Kevin story, uh, Kevin walked right on top of him, bounced on the board and whispering to us going, Hey guys, I, I think, I think there's something underneath here. And we had to pull back and then we ended up pulling the board up and got into a firearm exchange with the guy. Um, that's a funny story about no Kevin, but shit. just just should have nailed him in place. Just should have brought a few more boards in there and just yeah. solved the problem and walked yeah. out and wait till they called about the smell. You know? <laughs> wow. it, was, it was it would have took away the fun of Kevin bouncing on it like a trampoline, uh, letting us know that he believes something was amiss there. So uh, <laughs> it's a wonder he didn't get shot through the board. Yeah, it's uh, it was well. The guy unfortunately uh, mistaked a um, a a firefight uh, that can be done with a, uh, I think it was a soldering gun. So uh, that got him shot pretty well. Anyway, so that when we're doing this yard to yard search or this search of this yard, that that's a big issue for us, right? Like we've been there before. So we need to check all these little spots. Uh, so you got guys pulling up boards, you know, putting guns in holes, uh, checking trees, uh, deeper in other yards. So now we're being seen from other yards because it's chain link, um, dense foliage, um, you know, canines getting, you know, getting tired. And so, um, so all those factors are happening. Uh, but we, we get it done, um, in that yard. And now we proceed out and bend the corner as a team and we're going to go make, uh, contact with the next house that was just to our east, um, and that's kind of where everything jumped off. Well, let's let's talk about it. So, right before shit goes south, as they say, you know, before it all goes going south, what what was the activity going on? Where were you at? Where was Kevin at? You know, how was the team? Um, uh, you know, how was the team uh, deployed? So, team configuration was. Uh, uh, Den- I'm sorry, uh, uh, Kevin uh, was up front as point. With Chris Davis uh, was up at uh, a point, uh, both long-term members on the, on the team. Uh, we had the team leader, Denny Carter, uh, who's one of our great friends uh, and just a fabulous team leader, um, along with uh, the team sergeant, uh, sniper sergeant at the time. was uh, They were holding up the back. I was mid-stack. Um, and we had basically had a plan where to kind of give you a, a mental picture of there's a car in front of us, a driveway, an extended left side of the driveway, very small, maybe six feet wide. Um, two of the large outdoor trash cans, um, that covered up what appeared to be access to the backyard. So a, a gate that would go into the backyard. Upon looking at the trash cans, visually inspecting it from all of us, it appeared that those needed to be moved, that there would be nothing there. And our initial jump off would be the opening of that gate, let that breathe. All right. Let, let meaning 
let's open it, let it, let's see what happens. And then let's search behind the dog. Dog would go forward and hopefully get a scent or, you know, or we'd rule it all out. Um, that was a hasty plan in regard to that. And when I say hasty, I mean, we looked at it, we assessed it. This is what we're going to do. Let's go forward, uh, without sitting there forever and trying to figure it out. Um, and again, we had patrol perimeter up pretty, you know, real good perimeter, um, locked in pretty good. Uh, so myself and an operator on our team, good friend, uh, Luis Gutierrez, he starts to go up to the door to, uh, notify the people at the house. Um, I see that he has no cover to his right side. Uh, knowing that this guy had access to the backyard behind the house, he could be inside the house, all over the house. I wanted to make sure his oblique was covered to the right. So I start to go towards him to cover him as he's going to make contact at the door. Uh, I get asked what number or what location we are at house location, house numbers. And as I turn around to give them that information, shots ring out. I hear multiple gunshots. Um, as I turn around, I'm about, I don't know, I'd say about 10 feet from, from Kevin, who's on the ground, uh, appears to be taking shots at that time. And to the right of him, uh, by a, a big trash can, uh, Chris Davis is shooting into the trash can uh, and hopping on one leg, kind of, I could see he's been injured. So at that point I go towards, uh, Chris Davis, who's putting in rounds. And I know that Denny Carter is sees that Kevin can't get up is, and Lauren Hilliard, the Sergeant, they're putting rounds from a distance behind me, but to my left. So I understand that they are putting pretty precise rounds in, but it's the trash can that's kind of concealing uh, the suspect. So, and I know I got to get to Kevin and to Chris. So I get up to Chris and feel bullets coming from behind me towards the suspect, tap Chris. And Chris understands he's, he's, he peels out. He's need, I take his place. I see suspect fall towards the left, uh, gun in hand. And I, I put a couple in his head, uh, to stop, stop the threat. Uh, effective rounds were coming from behind. I thought I was going to put myself in a point where I was going to get hit. Uh, but I had to get Chris out of there, uh, and, and replace him. But, Again, testament to the shooting of of Denny Carter and Lauren Hilliard. Um, very precise shooting. Uh, I knew kind of the threshold where I could be, that one meter rule that we have that, you know, not to get. Um, there were a lot of rules that we kind of compromised in that situation, but we had to in order to get Kevin to safety and Chris to safety. Um, but I got up to a point where I was comfortable enough, engaged, uh, ended that, and uh, and then we at that point began to get off the X, meaning, you know, where everything was happening and start 
start our medical. Let's talk about that medical part too, because like you said, one of the things we've talked about too, I mean, I carry two kits in my car everywhere I go. I've got a shooting kit and I've got a regular trauma kit because you never know what you're going to run up on. And But the thing about it, you got to train with it. So I've got tourniquets in there. Um, I take a med, med kit even to the range. It goes on my drop uh, holster. You know, I've got it on the other side. I've always got a med kit there. And I don't think people realize how important it is, but this day it was important. So tell us about the importance of the med kit and the first things that you did with Kevin. So first I, I went to, I knew that uh, officers had, had come up. I mean, it was, it was just like we trained, step forward, um, provide that security. You got to have security before you can do medical, uh, drag Kevin to a, to a safe spot off the X. Um, got Chris, uh, once I, took care of business, went to Chris, went to assess him. He was doing a self-assessment, was doing a good job at self-assessing, didn't want to give up his weapons, uh, knew that it was a, an injury he could tolerate, um, which was in his uh, hip, buttocks area. He took uh, took around. And uh, and at that point, I knew, all right, I need to get to, to go assist with Kevin. Um, another another operator came up, got Chris. Um, and now we're trying to figure out an evac plan, how that's going to happen. Um, I go over towards Kevin and Denny Carter is our team. Our team leader is in the middle of it. And that dude is a medical. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he could be, uh, he could be medical personnel for as much as he knows, but he's calling for a tourniquet. Uh, I pull my tourniquet out, give it to somebody. And that person uh, kind of manipulates it where it, it, it took longer to utilize again, no, uh, you know, nothing, uh, meaningful, not didn't mean to do it just that it in the, in the seconds and the time that we had that we knew that Kevin was, uh, becoming his stomach's becoming distended. He's, he's, he's internally bleeding. We, we didn't have time, you know, to do these things. So I, I get that over, uh, Denny applies a tourniquet to his, uh, his left, uh, leg and his lower from the knee down is just exploded. Like it's, it's hanging on by a, um, by a string. It's, it's, it, it, I, I even instructed people don't touch it cause I just worried that it would just pop right off. So I'm at his head and, uh, we're applying some other, uh, there was some, uh, scissors we're using our tactical medical team is there they're taking over the scene um and so now my job at that point becomes the um extraction getting him kevin very large guy uh in uniform uh, into whatever we're going to get him into whether it's an ambulance or the bearcat uh armored vehicle uh denny carter comes up with a well Take that back. Denny Carter had an emergency evac plan with the the uh, Bearcat uh, armored vehicle, um, but our tactical medical team, uh, uh, one of the te- the team leader at that uh, for that situation was uh, Annalise um, uh, Lane at the time. Um, she made a tactical decision. Said we're taking him. Uh, we're using the Bearcat, and so now that's getting backed up into the driveway. Um, little ergonomics about the Bearcat is it's, it's a high step to get in and another decent step to get into the deal. So a high step to get into the, uh, 
get on the uh, back bumper and then another step to get into the, um, the back of it. So me and Kevin had always talked about, we were the heaviest dudes on the team. You know, we, we called ourselves the Clydesdales. There was only a couple of us. You had to be, you know, like 2.30 and up to be on the Clydesdales, you know. And, and so we trained together because in uniform or in our kit or even uniform, you're close, to, you know, I'm 300 pounds, you know, and that thing. So that's that's a that's a big ass to get into the back of um, especially three, three and a half feet into a, a bear cat. So we trained for that. That was our, we physically trained for that. We mentally trained for it. So. Hey, but uh, Brian, add to that though. It, it's not just his weight. How much gear, how much do you think you weigh extra when you put, when you're all kitted up, you got all your gear on? What do you think, how many pounds do you think that adds? Yeah, I'm, I'm at the time I'm, I'm still, I was about 245, 250 at the time. I, i guarantee i was over 300 pounds uh, they had to be had to be 50 pounds of, of stuff so you talk about breaching shotguns uh rifles uh your your full belt uh uh kit uh your 3a vest um helmet all that stuff so i was able to shed a helmet and i i took my rifle off because i didn't want to rifle punch him in the in the head uh and it and i knew i needed to lean, lean back into the bearcat with him uh and that would uh restrict me so i uh i took those things off uh secured secured them best i could and uh and then at that point it was the decision was made to get into the back of the bearcat and so um i got I was under his uh armpits uh and then we had people on his legs and we hoisted him up and I made a big push into the uh uh to get onto the just the very lip of the uh the back of the bear cat. And from there I had to muscle him in the back bear cat with a little bit of pushing and he ended up in between my legs in the bear, back of the bear cat. Uh so we were kind of in an intimate situation there for for some time. Well what you found a uh once you got in the bear cat you found an odd place to sit down to start with, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, do you mean where he ended up with me? No. Were you sitting on Chris's leg? Oh yes, I forgot. About that. <laughs> yeah. So Chris was already in the Bearcat uh, with his butt shot off, and uh, and uh, I ended up when I pulled one last pull to get Kevin as far in as we could. Um, I, I hear a ouch and i ended up sitting right on uh chris's wounded uh leg hip area and i said sorry i'm trying to i mean we had this weird exchange in the bearcat of you know i didn't mean to and sorry i got kevin here with his leg falling oh no no off no and- that's that's not what was said <laughs> no that's not what was said you got to use your voice and you got to go my bad no my no bad, that was that's, that's a bit farther on that's, that's the farther on okay yeah. <laughs> I, I we had me and chris had an exchange we had an argument it was our second argument as a matter of fact because he got pissed at me for wanting to take his his rifle from him when he got shot because he was self-assessing and i got mad at him and i was like well fuck you then yeah i'm gonna go this way and and go do this i mean we it, it was all he was doing the right thing i was trying to be attentive to him uh he was standing on his own and then we had a second argument with me pulling kevin in and then falling on his injury again and now he gets mad at me again and i get mad at him again and it's it's just 
chaos. The entire thing was chaos. Uh, you know what? That's exactly the, the the right word to use for those kind of situations, because we're, you know, and our our listeners don't get the wrong idea here. We're laughing about it because that's how you deal with this type of stress, and and especially when it's friends that are being wounded like this, um, and it, and the laughter just helps you to deal with it. But um, the stress is is palpable. It's a wonder that uh, people don't get punched out during that time because it's just, I mean, you know, everything is now, now, now. We got to get going, get going, get your ass out of the way. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, it, it, when you look back on it, it was just funny that these weird little, in the midst of two of our guys shot, Jardo, our canine shot, unbeknownst to, to me at the time. Um, and we're having this simple little argument about where, I feel like it was my girls when we go on a trip, uh, who's going to sit in the middle, who's going to sit behind the driver who they, they fight about it every single time. And I felt like we <laughs> yeah. were in that in the yeah. bearcat, like, no, you, you, you're too close. You're too close. Um, just a little moment in time where it's like surreal, I guess. And then everything starts popping again. Uh, tack meds in there. They're, they're trying to get their, you know, IVs and, and oxygen and, and everything going on Kevin and, and he's in between my legs, like I'm giving birth to him. And, you know, I'm just sitting there rubbing his hair, you know, trying to be used. Yeah. yeah. But it's, you're right. They got to get fluids on him. They got to try to get the volume up from the blood yeah, loss. Cause he's bleeding know. out. Like you say, he's, he's bleeding out. Um, but that, the, the decisions you made though, it's like the use of the tourniquets. You, you guys, the fortunate thing too, is you had two tactical meds there, mm-hmm. uh, paramedics, you know, um, but you made the decision not to wait for the ambulance. Um, what? Who made that final call? Was that somebody like you, or did you guys realize we just don't have time? We got to get into the ambulance and or into the Bearcat and not wait for an ambulance. Yeah, that was the expertise of our our our, our TAC Med um, personnel um, and Annalise Lane. Uh, man, I give it. I tell you what, she's it's tough as they come. Uh, I'd I'd let her run in our team in a heartbeat. I mean can probably do more pull-ups than most of the team as it is. And she's just, just a gangster when it came to that. And she, her medical experience along with her, uh, her partner, Casey Lane at the time, um, they, they did some great evaluation that, um, Kevin wasn't doing well. And Kevin was, Kevin was, was bleeding inside, internally bleeding heavily. Um, and it was no time to wait for an ambulance or anything. It, it was, it was time to go. It put everything that we had, had been training for so long. I remember being on the team, uh, you know, right when I first got on, knowing that I was always one of the heavier guys, uh, bigger guys. And I just wanted to, um, I always wanted to work with TAC Med on, on how would it be getting me out of here? You know, like what's, what's the prognosis, man, 300 pounds in, in uniform, uh, in gear. I mean, um, you know, what, what I want to, I want to train that as much as I don't want to go through it. I damn sure want to train it because I want to make sure that my big ass can get into these things and get the medical treatment I need. Um, and so that, that became a priority for me and, and for a lot of the guys on the team, because we just, uh, we really cherished having our tactical medical personnel around and, and the training they gave us, uh, on the medical side to be able to, um, chip in and help and, and do what's needed for ourselves, uh, in combat and for our, our partners in combat. So 
um, I, uh, I just, I just knew that she, she made it and she took charge and, and, and then it, it allowed me to advocate for her because there was a lot of people that wanted to help fire personnel, uh, other outside ambulance personnel. Uh, we had command staff that were there that permeated our scene. Um, and, and it shouldn't have happened. They did it out of love and wanted to help, but but that should have been a closed scene so that TAC, TAC Med and SOU could work together to get Chris and, um, and Kevin, you know, the appropriate um, medical attention they needed without too many hands reaching in. And at one point we had to do that. I had to say something. Annalise says something, uh, I mean, direct uh, to, to, to shut it down so that she could do what she needed to do. Uh, and a decision was made, let's get him to the hospital. And luckily we were, what, a mile and a half from the hospital. Talk about the ride in the Bearcat, because the Bearcat is not known for being uh, a race speed demon, uh, nor is it a comfortable ride. So what was it like? Uh, what was it like driving that thing, uh, you know, or being riding in it, but somebody, you know, putting pedal to the metal and getting to that hospital? <laughs> You, you know, if you've ever, uh, that thing is extremely heavy and does not break well. So you can get some speed going, but how and when you're going to stop might be, uh, it might be telling, you know, like, who <laughs> you knows? Plan ahead. Yeah. And so we, we got, you know, one of our snipers was driving and he was ready to go and he was ready to go fast. Uh, we got on the back of that thing and it's bouncy. I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's carrying a lot of weight. And so we're hitting dips and we're hopping around pretty good. Uh, and Kevin's starting to lose it a little bit. He's, he's kind of looking and gazing into the, you know, off ways. He's, he, he starts talking to me just about, I'm not feeling too good. Uh, we're kind of having what my goal at that point was, I was just, I was his friend, uh, team member. Yeah. Long time team member, long time, you know, uh, police team member, SOU, all that stuff. But at that moment, I was his friend and I just needed to, to keep him going. And so I'm talking in his ear. It's going to be good. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm right here. I'm, I'm just doing little stuff, you know, and he's sitting in the middle of my leg. So there's nothing else really I could do. Um, and, uh, and medical personnel is just doing their thing. Uh, and we're, we're hopping around like crazy because, Dan Barber, a sniper, he is just Mach 12 to the ER. The ball to the wall. Yeah, and and then we're and then we're getting in the ER, and it's now comes the break time. Like <laughs> you, you, the Bearcats pulling up into the front doors of the ER, and it's um, it is you know we're on two wheels. You know, been in that. If corner. you're not careful, that Bearcat will be in the front door exactly. of the ER. <laughs> exactly. So it was a, uh, it was a harrowing ride for sure. Uh, probably kept Kevin going with all the bouncing around. Uh, I know he's already told you, so I, I might as well just tell the story of my mishap in the bear, back of the Bearcat. You tried to um, take him out. You tried to take him out. Now, I, come on, know, on up I, to I, it. I, yeah. I'm not a good hit man. I, I should have been able to complete the job, but uh, I guess a little bit of my heart got in the way. Um, I, I, I don't work oxygen. I don't turn knobs. I don't do that stuff. I break walls and doors to get. Yeah, into we houses. heard. Yeah, we we heard. <laughs> so when they tell me put this on his face, 
And the oxygen mask, once again, my analogy earlier, um, I didn't need to put it on. So I put it on his face and said, they want this on your face. And he immediately starts struggling with me to not have it on. And I've, I've been given a directive by my tactical med team to put that on his face. Damn it. You're going to put this on your face and deal with it. And I got I, you go put that on your damn face. You go, I'm going to keep it on your face. So here I am holding it. <laughs> on his, I'm basically snuffing him out, not knowing that there's no oxygen coming to the thing. It's literally a plastic bag on his nose and mouth. Um, but I don't care because I've been told, put this on his face and keep it there. So I'm, so he's struggling with me, moving his face and, and fight me. And I'm cussing at him. Motherfucker, keep this on your face. They told me to keep it on your face. And I got, I got it palmed like a split finger fastball, man. That thing is on his face pressed. And then I can see the, the, (laughs) the, uh, fog and the, and the, it kind of like sucking in and he rips it off and he goes, there's no air. <laughs> and then I go, oh, hey. And then they go, oh, yeah. And then they turn the air on. And I go, my bad, man. I didn't I didn't mean to do that. You know, that was, was my fault. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to say this with some conviction. Go, sorry, man. My bad. <laughs> hey, man. I say, hey, hey, man. My fault. My fault, brother. I, I appreciate it. I, I hope you can forgive me. You know, it's, what made this so funny is, is Morgan and I know a couple, we know quite a few cops out there in Southern California, San Diego area, Mel and Santee are the two I'm talking about in particular. <laughs> when something like that happens, that's exactly what they say. Oh, sorry, dude. My bad. My bad. Well, that's all I could do. I, I, I didn't know. I was given a task and I was going to see that shit through. I was going to save his life or kill him. Who knows? <laughs> well, now that we've got the oxygen figured out, Dr. Holland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I like that. Sorry, man. My never bad. give a breach. Never yeah, give a breach. Made the whole thing funny. <laughs> never give a breach of technical shit. If it doesn't go boom uh, or bang, it's not for me. So yeah, yeah. nope. Oh, All right. Whew. Well, there's always a little levity because you have to have a sense of humor at some point about this. But it's like, but I mean, it's obviously some serious shit. Um, yeah. But let, let's talk about because Kevin at this point is kind of out of it. Like I said, even with that on there, but you get into the hospital. What what do you see next? What what's part of you? What's your role next? You guys they wheel up to the hospital. You got Chris. You got Kevin. What happens? Yeah, that's that was the weird one too. Uh, you know, we it's a trauma hospital. It's uh, one of the only ones in the um, the region here, and I, it I gotta say it had to be a huge shock for medical personnel at, at the ER to know that we had. Uh, two shot officers coming into the, to the ER. So when the doors fling open, um, I equate it almost. And again, no, nothing bad here. I just equate it to people were so wanting to help. It was like the night of the living dead. Like there were medical personnel reaching their hands in and like just ready to get him and get to work. But I was so worried about his, his leg that I yelled like, watch his leg, leave his leg alone, you know, and, and, and went off about that. Cause I just knew that thing was not, not stable. It, it, it had a hole blown through it. It looked like a bomb went off on his, in his calf. And, uh, uh, yeah. Cause Kevin talked about, he said he was able to see the bottom of his foot and that's kind of a weird feeling mm-hmm. to have where you can see the bottom of your, you know, oh, yeah. boot look all the way through it. And, um, and again, it was just dangling. And so I yelled about that. Don't touch that. Annalise, uh, again, tactical med TL 
did an awesome job and told everybody to shut the fuck up and took command to get a clean exit out of the Bearcat. Um, it, it almost was a calming effect. Shut up, stay driven. Uh, and so they were able to do that and was able to get him lifted out on a gurney. Um, and then all I could think was I'm going with, uh, you know, this is it's like a brother to me. I'm going in. So went into the trauma room and Chris was in there and then it started to hit me, you know, where he's at, where, you know, I can see Chris. I, I feel what Chris is doing, you know, handling his business and Kevin's just in a bad way. And he's not conscious at this time. Now I can look over. He's, I think he's about out and, uh, and now they want everybody out. And I'm like, nah, I'm gonna stay here. And, uh, I got lieutenants and, you know, uh, SOU sergeant kind of big wigs coming to me going, you know, just coaxing me out. And, and I lost it at that point. I was, you know, I was, I was worried. Um, didn't want to leave. Didn't want that to be it. You know, my last time kind of talking to him. And, uh, so I was, I was a little indignant about leaving. Um, but cooler head prevailed and, you know, uh, they needed to do their work. They didn't need me sitting there, you know, crying and carrying on and do whatever. So, so I ended up got, got pulled out and, uh, had some close friends there. My wife, I got it. Uh, she did an awesome job for whatever reason. Uh, when I called her that there was a shooting, she was able to answer. She had a, she just had a, a sense of what was happening. She was able to answer her phone on the bike at a stoplight pulled over and then went to action at that point. Uh, obviously she was very concerned about me. I had to, had to, you know, make sure she was knew I was good. Uh, but we were very close to, you know, Kevin's situation at the time. And so she went into action to make sure that, you know, his loved ones knew what was happening, uh, and got, you know, got that, that piece started. Who broke the news to his daughters? Uh, I believe it was his girlfriend at the time. Um, and with the help of, uh, his mother and his, and his father. So, uh, and then, and then that became just a, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces. His life was a, a, a you know, there was a lot going on. You know, he had a, he had a girlfriend, he had an ex-wife, he had, you know, uh, had the girls, the parents and, you know, family, his other, you know, sister uh, on the East coast and everybody, you know, everybody just gets involved. And Kevin is such a popular cat. He's so, he's so moving to people that it just, I mean, people came out, out of, out of everywhere, you know, to do stuff. And so that coordination becomes a, a job in and of itself, you know, just trying to make sure that's, it's a blessing, but it's, you know, you got to coordinate efforts and stuff. So, uh, at that point I just, I had to, I had to get back to the scene. I wanted my rifle back. Um, and so I got, I got escorted back to the scene. And then from there you go through protocols, you get escorted to, you know, offsite representation and, they take all the pictures of you and, you know, get your initial stuff. So I was the last one to show up at the, at the hospital while he was getting his, 
his initial surgeries. How quickly do they go into the uh, investigative part to where you're getting interviewed and they're doing the OIS, you know, the officer involved shooting, uh, you know, your protocol, your uh, investigation? Who handles that? Does, does the state police come in? Is it the sheriff's office or do you guys do your own investigations? That was a, a partner. So we have what's called a, a critical incident task force that's made up of uh, surrounding agencies all work together. So obviously, if it's a Boise shooting, they don't want Boise investigators doing um, doing that investigation just to, you know, make sure there's no um you know, issues with well, for public uh, trust. Yeah, yeah. You for, want people to trust the investigation. Yeah. Exactly. So a partner agency, Garden City, uh, uh, did the the investigation. Initially, it's not much. Um, you know, they they let you get your. You know, I have an escort um, who's close to me that um, you know that helps with you know making sure things go the way they're supposed to go. They got to gather all the evidence. So all my clothing, all my firearms. Um, you know, all my gear is gathered by them. Uh, and then I get, you know, some Walmart sweats to wear or whatever. Um, and then, uh, and then they take pictures of you, you know, they drug test you, you know, immediately, um, initial statement, uh, with an attorney there. Uh, and that's pretty bland, just kind of an overview of your actions. Um, with the advice of an attorney, obviously at that point. And then, and that's it. And then later on, you will do a, a more in-depth interview, uh, again, with representation, uh, to kind of tie up the investigation as a whole. Now, did they do two concurrent investigations, like one, a, a personnel investigation, and then the shooting investigation? Did you guys do your own internal, uh, uh did, did, did they, do you guys do that? Or is, was it just simply the straight criminal investigation that you were interviewed on? No, they do the criminal investigation and then they do uh, an internal investigation through our internal affairs. Um, how was that? You know, it was uh, it, it was actually good. Um, we had we actually had I think it was a joint investigation with internal affairs and uh, the ombudsman's office, now Office of Professional Accountability. Um, and I was able to really talk about some issues that came up, you know, the, the lack of personnel, um, the cutting of personnel on holidays, uh, you know, the, the scene issues, um, just a lot of things that I was able to kind of vent about that should have been thought about and were not. Um, so it, uh, it, it in my mind it wasn't bad it was it was it was some things that needed to be said some things that were uh relevant and uh and you know of course i was obviously secure on our mission um our i was extremely secure on our team leadership and our our the hasty plans that were made both for uh apprehension and for uh medical um <clears throat> and uh and so, yeah, it, it was, it wasn't, wasn't bad at all. Just, uh, just the time, you know, it just really took a lot of time for them to come to any conclusion. I still don't know to this day why, why it took so long for things. How, when you say it took long, how long was that? Oh gosh. Years, uh, before our internal investigation said anything to me. Uh, what? No. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Roll back. Years? I mean, this is like this is like the easiest thing to figure. 
fucking bad guy shooting at everybody, shoots the dog, shoots Jardo, shoots Kevin, shoots Chris, um, is already shot three other people, like you say. Uh, he's pulling, he's going bang, 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 and you fire back. I mean, it's not that fucking hard. No, I, I know. And you would think our, 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 the criminal investigation was done timely. The internal investigation, whether it was done or not, I don't know. All I know is there was no communication with me, with Denny Carter, with Kevin, with anybody. It took it took a long time to hear anything in regards to that. And I still don't know to this day why I mean, what 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 took so long in regards to their um, their timeliness issue. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Again, I, I think it was the current administration that uh, had their issues, uh, whether it be with the team or, uh, with, uh, with planning or whatever it may be. But I'll tell you what, um, it, we, we did, our, our team leadership did an excellent job on that day. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to push back on something you said. You said it was a hasty plan. I don't think it was a hasty plan. It was a tactical plan. There's a difference between just throwing shit against the wall and see what sticks, but knowing what your skills and abilities are, know what the lay of the land is and utilizing that in an ever evolving environment. I mean, you didn't, this wasn't like something you had that you weren't, you weren't serving a warrant where you had 24 hours to plan a raid and get all this stuff done. You got somebody who's, uh, you know, who's a bad guy with a gun. So, uh, you know, for me, that's, that's, I don't want to say it's hasty because I don't really think it's hasty. I think what you did is you put together a tactical plan based upon the environment you're in. But one, one thing folks need to know, our players out there, this is, this is the thing too I was involved in too, where you had shootings or other stuff. You've got a criminal investigation on one hand, you've got an internal investigation on the other, and they don't share. There's supposed to be a firewall between the two. You don't share information because you were compelled. I mean, a lot of times they'll, they'll compel you to, uh, um, talk. You don't have a choice. You have to talk. It's not like there are in a criminal investigation, you get advised of your rights or, you know, they have to do certain things, but in an internal investigation, you have to talk to the folks. And if you don't talk, that can be grounds for, uh, dismissal or, you know, suspension or some type of, uh, punishment. Yeah. 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 And that's, you know, uh, the, and you, what they implemented in DEA, um, you know, this was, I've been retired for 10 years, but what they did, what we did in the DEA was at a shooting, the shooters were taken off site immediately. And so um, when I was an assistant special agent in charge in Atlanta, I had the, I was the director of the strike force there had only been back in town for a few months from Washington. And, and one of my groups goes out and they, I get the five thirty AM call. Hey boss, we had to take one down. So you go out there now and our guys knew the system already. So this, the group supervisor had taken the four shooters a couple miles away to a shopping center parking lot. And so the, the district attorney's investigators, they roll in. And, and fortunately, I was very good friends with the district attorney there. We had a very good working relationship, but his investigators, not so much. And so when, I, when they see me come in and I get identified as you know, the guy in charge for DEA, they come up and start hounding me. We, we want access to your shooters now, the guys that shot this guy. We, you know, and and, and uh, like, it's not a problem, you know, but you're not going to get them right now. That's our policy. And, and what we do is we, we take them off site so they have time to collect their thoughts. Um, if they want to call family, that's what they do. You know, there's, you don't want them making statements in front of other people, contemporaneous statements that, you know, I mean, hell, if there's somebody from the media there, they'll, they're going to record that and try to use it against us to make us look bad. And so that finally the district attorney they come walking up and they're like, hey, Murphy, hey, Mr. Murphy, uh, the district attorney's on here. He wants you on the phone now. Like he's going to tear me up. And I got on the phone and I said, good morning, Danny. How you doing? You know, and the investigator's like, oh shit, he knows him. 
And Danny's like, what is, what's going on, Murph? And I told him, explained. He said, is that your, is that DEA policy? I said, yes, sir. He said, not a problem. I said, brother, when you're, when they're ready to talk, you will get access. If you want us to bag their clothes, whatever you want us to do, we'll do, but you're just not going to talk to them right now. You know, and, and that once the district attorney knew what the policy was, and I tell you what, when I went over the parking lot where the four shooters were, one guy was visibly shaking. I mean, this was his first shooting ever as a police officer. And he was, I mean, visibly, you could see him shaking. Two guys were a little bit upset, but they were a little bit calmer. And the fourth guy had been in multiple shootings before. He used to be with the um, U.S. Marshals Fugitive Squad. You know, he's been involved in shootings. He's over in his car taking a nap. So you got the whole gamut of, of reactions from these guys. And, uh, and But it's the best policy I've ever heard for a shooting situation. So that you're, you know, you're, it seems like, <laughs> what is it you say, Morgan? If you, if you want to keep a secret, you, uh, tell it, tell it, what is it? Telephone, tele, tele, three forms telecom. of communication, telephone, telegraph, telecop. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we all want to talk about it, right? <laughs> yes. So Absolutely. it's, uh, of course, the whole point of too, if you want to keep a secret, you don't tell anybody. The minute you tell somebody, it's no longer a secret, but, uh, exactly right. So it's, you know, I mean, and it's a situation where it'd be great if, if all police departments would utilize that. Not that they're trying to hide anything, but we're still we're still citizens of the United States, and we have we rights still have rights. Well. People forget cops have rights too. And and you right. were getting ready to say something too, Brian. I mean, so how how did you, you? I mean, it was good that you got that stuff out, but I mean, to me, it's like I'm still shocked that um, they couldn't come to a conclusion on this fairly quickly because it's a good shoot. I mean, there's no doubt about that. There, I can't see under any circumstance with this shitbag's prior history, his record, his and he's a convicted felon in possession of a firearm, shot three people. Uh, I mean, what's what are they confused about? I, I couldn't uh, begin to tell you. I can only um, put a hypothesis to that. The issue came with, and, and let me go back real quick. You're right on the hasty plan. It was a tactical plan. In tactics, you you put plans to, you put names to plans. And our team leader came up with our sergeant, came up with what we call a hasty tactical plan so that this guy couldn't move around as much based on the perimeter we had set and the amount of uh, land we had to cover. So it's, it's immediate. This is the mission or this is what we have. It's the situation. This is our mission, what we need to do or how are we going to enact that mission? How are we going to get that done? All right. You're here, Kevin, your lead, uh, uh, Chris, you're number two. You guys are going forward. Uh, you're breacher. Uh, you're our primary canine. You're our, and that's the hasty part of it is we're picking personnel based on what's, uh, in, um, attributes we have at that time uh and then and then the hasty part is we're going to start at this uh, last known location of the suspect we're going to travel in this direction uh looking for based on what witnesses said uh direction of what we you know possible travel all those different things uh what kind of weapon he has what kind of weapon was used in the shooting you know all those kind of things so uh the hasty part comes in how the speed of the tactical planning, I guess, uh, I guess to explain that further. Um, but I, I can't begin to tell you, except the, the hypothesis that that administration at the time, chief, chief down, um, had was, they were adverse to certain people on our team. 
uh, in leadership positions. And I think that there was a, in my mind, this is my personal opinion. I think there was a little bit of a witch hunt in regards to, and it's unfortunate that it was under the guise of, of, of Kevin's, uh, and Chris's and Jardo's, you know, uh, being injured, um, of, of what I just explained the planning stage of, of this, um, of this operation. Uh, there were no drones available. Uh, and if there were, they weren't made available to us. Uh, we don't have the luxury of a, what we call a ghetto bird, you know, a, a, uh, helicopter, you know, that can look and see people from high. We we're, we're relying on an actual physical search of every nook and cranny of nine backyards and the outbuildings and areas around worst search you can do. As Tommy Lee Jones said in the movie U.S. Marshals, it's a hard target search, you know, and you got to, but you got to put a perimeter and work your way in. But let's, let's kind of fast forward, well, not fast forward, but let's talk about, um, you're back at the scene, you're getting all of the stuff done. I I have a question for you though, because this is something I went through with an officer I was involved uh, in a shooting with. Um, He was the one that actually fired the shots. But one of the smart things they did, I really appreciate what the department did. They had to take his weapon, but they immediately gave him a replacement weapon that he could put back in his holster. Right. Because you don't want to feel naked. Murphy and I have talked about this before, too. How did they treat you with that? Because they got to take your rifle. They got to, I mean, did they take your sidearm? Uh, you know, wh- what things did they relieve you of and what did you get back in return? Yeah, they took, uh, they took all my, all my weapons, but they, they gave me that, uh, that back in return. So I had a replacement immediately, um, for both. Um, I was given, my my sidearm back eventually uh my rifle i'd never got back um all right take it back i got it back and then we had to we i think we changed um some weapons but uh that that was there was not a big that was a little bit of a timeliness issue too getting that back uh especially the rifle because obviously that's what i used to to shoot him with um but yeah, they, they do a good job with that. They immediately replace that. They want you back. Uh, you know, they want to make you whole, uh, both mentally, uh, physically and, you know, as an employee, uh, that's our job. That's part, that's a big part of our job. So they made that right. Um, they, they do the, the, the follow-up investigation, uh, you know, pretty good. You know, there's, uh, uh, there's sympathy for what happened, uh, but there's business to be conducted. So I've, I've been through it a couple of times. I, I wasn't, wasn't a big issue for me. Um, and then it was timely enough that they took me, you know, they got me taken care of and, uh, I changed out and I was at the hospital and, and waiting to, you know, get word on, on all, all our guys that were down. Um, so that, that worked. And then, and then, then came, the mental health part. Um, um, the, then came the the issue with you know now we need to make sure you know what's your time frame to get back to work and 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 how are you getting back to work. Checking your six, aren't you? Man, that's a that's a bad yeah. feeling. You have your back to everything that's going on. You got to turn around and say, "What the hell's going on?" Yeah, well, my dog came shooting down the um, stairs like a. You can hear him drinking right now. Apparently, <laughs> he's, he's getting to drink water. Yeah, he's a he's a big tank corso, and he uh he came shooting down the stairs, which he shouldn't have. And the responsible parties behind me, who I was given a death stare to. 
Oh, easy now. <laughs> easy now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's okay. This, this is a family-friendly show. We get everybody involved. Uh, and right. I see the dog just walking off going, yeah, I got my water. Yeah, yeah. He, and it, uh, not only the water that he drank, the water that he uh, takes with him on the ground all the way to the door. Because his jowls. <laughs> it dribbles, yeah. You know, like, oh, my God. Because I'm a dog. What, what he's saying is, you think you're in charge, don't you, Dad? Uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> right. My cats are in charge, too. He runs the joint. Yeah. Yep. So, um. So, but now how long were you, so the other thing they do too is they suspend you, but with pay, right? I mean, you, you're placed on paid leave until the criminal investigation is done, right? Yes. Yes. You're, you're, well, you're actually, you're actually, and that's kind of gotten stretched uh, with our last chief, but uh, you are, you're uh, put on paid uh, leave administration, uh, uh, administrative leave uh, pending and that's usually anywhere from three. It can, it can be longer than that, but it, the standard is a, a week of work, basically. So four days. Um, if you need to take additional time, you say, I, I need to take additional time. Um, and uh, and they accommodate, you know, appropriately. So that that works out good. Uh, in that time, you're, you're setting up and scheduling uh, time to, to, to speak with a professional. Um uh, and that's, that's required. Um, uh, and then how many times after that is up to you, but you, you're required to do at least the, excuse me, at least the initial and maybe a follow-up, I think. And then from there, you know, you're, you're, you're afforded whatever you need. What are they evaluating for? You go in and talk to the professional. What, this is a little bit different than your MMPI thing and, you know, discussing when you got on the PD. So what's the, what's the gist of the interview this time? What are they looking for? I, effectiveness, you know, what, how did it affect you? Um, you know, you got so many factors in this one, uh, where you have close friends, uh, close team members and friends, um, who were shot. You observe that, uh, a, a canine who was, you know, a canine was like one of our team members, uh, one of the best dogs to work with, uh, get shot, lives, thinks you're coming back and then dies. I mean, so you got that factor. Yeah, we we covered that with Kevin and no offense, we don't want to cover that again. That that was tough on him and it was tough on us listening to him talk about that. But I mean, but we we salute Jardo just like we do Absolutely. any other, you know, officer down, man. Absolutely. And so you got that that those you got that side of it. Hold on a second. My dog is at it again. No, dude, this is it's all okay. fun, man. We're leaving this on. It's like dude. we know who runs the house, man. Get out of here. Good Lord. Um, and then, then you got the, you know, believe it or not, you do have the factor of taking a life, you know, being involved in taking a life is even as bad of a piece of shit as this guy was, you know, you still plug bullets into him. So you, you still have to deal with that. I, I think people undermine that. I think a lot of people are, you know, especially in our position, it's like, we're doing the, 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 no more. We're doing the, the Lord's work and we're, we're taking down yeah, a bad that's guy. That's not going to work, man. <laughs> now he wants to eat. I know. He's going to drink it dry. He'll drink it dry in a minute. God, yeah. But, but you know, but you were right. You were talking about that. Um, um, this, you're, you're right. I, you're doing the Lord's work. If this guy was going to shoot cops, he was going to shoot more innocent civilians. If he got mm-hmm. away there, there's no doubt in my mind. And you, and you have to have that conviction. I mean, do you think, it, I'm, and, and I know I'm not directing this question directly to you, but does anybody out there think that, before this guy shot at you guys, he looked to see what was behind you in case he missed. 
you know, what are his rounds that no. miss you guys? Is it going to hit an innocent person? Never entered his mind. Not even close. And and, and I mean, that's that's him being a gang member too, right? It's it, there's not there's not precision in mayhem. You know, it's usually it's it's uh it's pray and pray. It, it's whoever gets it. You know, and that's just in their way of looking at so-called war, you know, innocence, it doesn't matter. You know, every, everybody's getting it just to show what kind of gangster you are. And that's, that was his, his take. So, uh, but you still have to have a conviction for pulling the trigger, a conviction for wh where your rounds are landing, a conviction for stopping a threat. You got to have all those things in place and know your threshold prior to, um, what you're comfortable with and what's within the law. Obviously that's all got to be in your makeup. Uh, and those things in my mind, you, you should talk about them. You should say, yeah, this is what I felt. This is what I did. Did they coincide? You know, th those are all factors we need to be looking at on ourselves. I'm going to have you stop there for a second, Brian. And I'm going to ask you from the minute you heard the shots until the minute you engaged and stopped the threat. I mean, you, you basically, uh, you know, put two rounds into this guy, stopped it. How many, how many seconds do you think a lap from first shot until this dude's down? Oh, if I look back on it, obviously it slowed down for me, but I would say four seconds, five seconds, like at the most, I, I'm hearing five shots go off. I'm going towards, I shoot, or I, I move Chris. And and then I had to hesitate a pause to know that bullets are coming right off my arm. I can I can feel kind of the air. And then I, I put it two into them. I'd say five at the most. So here's what I want people to understand. And in that five seconds, you got to look, you got a partner going down. You got another partner hit. You know where the suspect is. You've got rounds coming in behind you. You've got to worry about where, where if I send rounds down range, where are they going? What does it look like? Um, what's, is this still an ongoing threat? Where is the threat? Do I have a good sight picture on him? Is there anything else I might have engaged? Am I within the law? You got five seconds to think about all of that. Yet everybody has months and years to dissect everything you had to think about in five seconds. I challenge anybody out there who thinks they're a fucking expert on police shootings to go through the same, even a simulation and, and make all of these decisions in the amount of time you had and say and and find out how they do and you know what when they take when they take civilians through it, the ones that think they're experts you know what they do they shoot innocent people they shoot mm -hmm. the baby they shoot everything else but what they should have been hitting and you know what they realize they don't have the fucking training and without the training you don't have the experience or the expertise to sit and pass judgment on the people who've got to make these decisions in milliseconds sorry that's my quick rant no, I, I, no, I, you're right. I appreciate it big time. It's, uh, it, it, and it's, you know, it's funny. I think you're the first person probably besides the investigators. And I'm trying to remember if they even asked me what time elapsed during that. Cause it's always, I always look back on it as a very slow, you know, like boom, first shot, boom, second shot. I'm turning around, boom, shot goes off, boom. I'm seeing Kevin on the ground. Boom. I see, uh, you know, Chris shooting, I'm going towards and advancing. Boom. I can hear shots behind me. Boom. I see suspect. I mean, it's like, it's just that methodical that I, I, that's how it felt when it happened. But when I really put it, or when I see a news clip that actually sh shows the, the shooting happening, or at least the, the audible part of it, it's rapid fire. You know, it's, it's very quick. Uh, so it's interesting to, to look at it like that. Well, and, and afterwards, you replay it thousands of times in your mind. 
you know, and, and that's, I think that's, uh, that's probably a, a personal defense mechanism to help your brain, your psyche to understand what you went through and justify in your mind that I did everything right. I did everything I was supposed to do. You know, I, there's nothing I could have done different that would have been any better. Um, I know when Kevin got shot, I was, I, I mean, it's been years since I had dreams, but he was shot in 89 and I had dreams. I retired in 13 and I had dreams close to the end of retirement. Yeah, I just relive you, it. You know what one of the worst dreams cops have, I think, and I talked to a friend about this who kind of did a survey. If you have, it's not quite a nightmare, but the one recurring dream, and I used to have it a long time, is you pull your weapon at it, malfunction, whatever, you can't pull the trigger. It won't fire. You're doing everything you can to rack it, you know, clear the jam, and it's just like you go to pull the trigger, and it's like, even in my dream, I can't make the trigger move, and that was one that I dealt with for, you know, long time. But yeah. I was so good, though, I could just look at him. I could talk him into submission. I wouldn't have to fire. I'd just say, shut the fuck up. Just sit down, and it's all over. <laughs> you know when he lies, his nose grows. You notice that? Excuse me. He's getting all choked up because because he knows I'm because he knows I'm right. No, ah, sorry, I had to clear my throat. I need to keep this radio voice up. Man. Oh, I, I know you about to, you threw up when you heard that story, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, but, but but I mean, you're talking about dreams, but I mean that's kind of the one of the things I I've talked to some other guys who had it. Not everybody has it, but it's that whole thing. You can't. It's like the the biggest uh, you know thing I think you worry about sometimes when you get involved in a critical incident is that your weapon doesn't work. That's your line of defense. So anyway, that was just a quick side story. It, it, it's it's interesting, um, it, and it's hard to put that uh, that psyche to anybody else that doesn't do police work. And it, and if you're doing police work, you should be having dreams like that because you've probably been in a situation. And and I'm hopefully your your uh, your um, vigilance to your surroundings is is become good to the point where you're testing yourself. And that's what I think a dream does is it kind of, it kind of reminds you that you need to be hitting that bag, that you need to be shooting that gun, that you need to be, that you need to be working on your discretion, your shoot, don't shoot situations, the, 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 the continual training. It's, it's a life deal to do when you decide to do this work, which I I have always, and, and not to get too big on a rant, but I have always prided myself in not looking like an an average cop or being an average cop, having that humanity to be able to um, relate and but but be vigilant about my surroundings. My I, I remember we'd ride the rails on the Bearcat as a uh, as a SWAT operator, and you're talking about twelve, thirteen, fully kitted night vision helmets, AR-15s, uh, breaching shotguns, shotguns, you name it. We're all hanging off the side of a heavily armored vehicle and we pull up to a red light because uh, we're just moseying back to the, to the shop and there'll be a person next to us in a vehicle and would not even glance over not knowing that 13 heavily armed men on a on a armored vehicle are standing and stationary next to them that, I mean, that's the type of, uh, lack of awareness. <laughs> I think as a community, some people have, and I, I don't stop at a red light without my head on a swivel, you know, just, I, I'm not going to be that one that gets caught slipping. You know, I just don't want <laughs> And that. let me tell you what, there are some people who are not aware and there's some people, if you pulled up in a SWAT vehicle, what was the episode Murph? Do you remember which one it was? They bought dope in a SWAT vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that was a recent one. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no shit, man. They they were like, hey, let's. You can't do that. Yeah, I can. So they pulled up in a SWAT vehicle and they bought dope. The guy goes, yeah, okay, and he still sells some dope. <laughs> it's, well, I'm that telling you, it's the way of the world. No, no, that was. I can't think of who that was. That was before that. That wasn't Ken. Uh, I don't think it was. But yeah, but it was so. No, it was like. Um, Oh gosh, what was the episode? It was uh, it was either Michael Hearns, I thought, the one from uh, the from, detective from down South Florida. Yeah, I can't remember now. No, maybe it was Adam Bailey. Uh, I, I remember anyway, but it was like, but it was hilarious because yeah, we had nothing else to do, so let's try this. So they bought dope in a SWAT vehicle. But talk about being yeah, aware not? of your surroundings and. <laughs> and, and this guy was aware of his surroundings. He just wasn't aware of the consequences. Uh, that he was going to come money. out of it. <laughs> Money's that's, money. a, that's the low-hanging fruit we go after sometimes. Well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, Brian, so let's kind of bring this full circle because, you know, in the end, obviously, um, at least from a criminal standpoint, you guys are cleared. Everybody's cleared. Um, but Kevin, uh, you know, Chris, uh, he does okay, right? He gets, he takes a round in the ass. Now, does he show you his scar? Does he like to bend over like Forrest Gump and say, here's where I was shot? Does he, does he do that at oh, parties God, or when no. you're out drinking? No, he, he hates, he hates, cause I, I made a meme about him, uh, from training day <laughs> when, uh, when, uh, Denzel Washington takes one in the ass and he goes, damn it, Jake, motherfucker, you shot me in the ass. <laughs> and so I use that all the time. Uh, for him, he hated that. Um, we even made beer. Uh, we made we made beer that they call it the ass shot beer. <laughs> if I was Chris, I'd look at you and say, "Man, I got a boo boo on my ass. Would you kiss it, and make it better?" <laughs> well, he's about to be a big big time boss, so he can make me do that now. <laughs> yeah but but like i say but you still have to have a sense of humor about this and even joking about getting shot and stuff but uh even kevin made a joke because i was saying something he says yeah but i'm only three foot eight now and it's like yeah. <laughs> okay. he made a joke we didn't it's like okay um but but the rehab part of this i wanted the other thing we were highly impressed with and even murph and i were talking about this recording our patreon episode today and stuff is just how stand up you guys were in helping kevin recover from this the stuff you did for him where, where did this come from? I mean, I, you know, you get people to pull together, but it just wasn't you guys. It was the community. I mean, this is the one time where you had a bunch of people coming in, just like you're talking about at the ER, you know, the attack of the zombies. But now everybody's coming together. Where did that come from? Is that just something the way Idahoans are or is that Boise? You know, where did this come from for everybody to come together and help Kevin out like they did? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's Idaho in, in as a whole, uh, and and Boise is kind of uh, just a an example of the state as a whole. But I think, unfortunately, other states, especially bigger cities, get used to officers getting hurt, um, and then it just becomes an officer thing. Uh, and that's unfortunate. That's tough, you know, cause it just becomes, you know, it's like, like violence in Chicago, you know, you, you, you look at it, you go, Oh yeah. You know, these many people were killed this weekend. You move on, you know, it, it's, un it's an unfortunate human, uh, characteristic that I think Idaho hasn't, hasn't gotten there. You know, we, we, I think they value their police officers. I think, uh, they value, uh, the, the type of policing we get. And when an officer, I tell you what, I've never been in a state, a city. I, I, I'll just keep, make it Boise, but I think it's probably, uh, statewide where I have to mitigate 
and and then this is no knock. I, I I love it. Like I have to remind myself every day that this is the city I work in. I have to mitigate how many times I get told thank you for being a police officer. I what? mean, it's it's amazing. It is unbelievable the amount like people know the sentiment that's nationally out there and they go opposite. I mean, even drunk people downtown, thank you for what you do. Wow. And you you have to get wow. to a point in your as a police officer that's been around for a while, you don't want to get you don't want to take that for granted that people are actually doing it and they mean it. Um uh they'll stop you, you know, you're like cars coming at me. I'm 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 writing some notes and I'm like, who's this car coming out? I'm I'm unsnapping, you know, getting ready to, you know, deal with something. It's an older lady and she's like, I just want to say thank you for what you're doing. We appreciate you so much. And you're like, I, and to go out of your way to do that, you don't want to get callous to that. In Chicago, wow. somebody does that. You got two cops laying down with their guns out, starting to call for backup, you know, gonna just put oh, some absolutely. put the weapon mm-hmm. up there, fire rounds like ambush, you know, but here it's like you know, we deal with our bad stuff, but man, I tell you what, it, it just, that plague that LA, Chicago, New York, you know, these big cities, uh, maybe even, you know, m- more medium size, like the size of Boise are already dealing with, are dealing with so bad that cops are the only people who, who will, uh, come together when a cop is hurt. But in, in this state and city, as it is now, Everybody comes together. Everybody put, you know, puts out. And God forbid if a dog gets, you know, Jardo just brought the world together. It was amazing. Uh, but um, yeah, so I, you never want to be callous to that. Uh, you want to be thankful you work in a community like that. And, you know, helps you uh, helps you not separate. You know, it's not, you know, just a cop thing. You know, it's a community thing. Um, so uh, that, that's a that's a plus. We gave on, on Kevin's interview, we gave a big shout out to the people of Boise and, and Idaho and, and we'll do the same thing here. That's you don't know how much that means to the to the men and women out there that are risking their lives every day. And that it's it sounds cliche when you say that, because you know what you're getting into when you become a police officer. If you don't, you don't yep. need to be in that that line of work. But the fact you don't go into it for people to come up and pat you on the back and say thank you, but when they do, I mean it's almost unheard of. That's what a what a great reputation for great a state people. to have. Yeah, it's amazing. You still moving back to Palm Springs then, Skippy? <laughs> I think that's a no hell no. No. I don't even have a reason besides uh I got family there, of course, and uh I I have no desire to be anywhere near that place. Like I said, Kevin makes fun of me for owning a cabin in the woods and uh, wanting to hunt, never done that. And uh, I just can't submit myself to uh, snow. I just can't do that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a desert boy through and through. I, and I snow is a four-letter word, man. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. yeah, not that you're down in Florida, you traitorous bastard. He was Damn perfect right. to live five minutes from me. Then the son of a bitch moved to Florida and left me up here. But we're still in good Smart. hands. Hey, but but got to ask you, did you finally get rid of that card hot jacket, or do you flip the collar up every now and then just to freak people out in the restaurant? I wish. I, I That's one of my That's one of my, uh, my regrets is that somewhere that got lost. I wish to this day I still had that jacket. That was uh, – that was a, that's one of the best stories I tell, and I would love to still have that jacket, but I'm not a pack rat. Hey, Things go away. We don't want to, we don't want to miss the fact too, that, uh, you were recognized by your own agency. I know yep. Kevin was, and we mentioned that, um, got a little recognition there after this is all over. Did you? 
Yeah, yeah. I got a little something. Uh, I, I, I'll be honest, this is a, a kind of a, a tough topic for me because I, um, being a part of the SWAT team, I am not a fan of individual accolades. Um, and that includes myself. It's so, team effort. Yeah. Uh, obviously, for those that were injured and took took rounds, that's the ultimate. So uh, I believe in that, uh, being recognized for standing in the in the line of a bullet and, and doing that stuff. For what I did and what other guys did, um, I, I, I believe we – we should be unnamed and the team should accept it as a team. That's, that's my, my thought. Um, I, 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 I don't, I don't shit on the fact that I got uh, a medal of honor. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply humbled by that or a life-saving award. I'm deeply humble, humbled by that, but I'm, uh, I'm as being a part of a team and I take that so seriously. Um, it's, it's the team that did it. Um, so, that's my little caveat to I'm very humbled and, and, and I'm, and, and pleased that I've got some recognition, but, but it never will, um, take the place of the team. Um, and the team should accept that. Uh, and there should be an unnamed person who did that. Your, your actions and you're not going to like what I'm getting ready to say. <laughs> <laughs> your actions were heroic of, as well as those of your team members who stood up, to anarchy and chaos that day, stood the line, did the right thing. And when people call you a hero, how does that make you feel? Uh, it's, you know, it's a little uncomfortable. I, um, I, I appreciate it. Uh, I never want to, you know, I never want to denounce somebody's uh, uh, compliment. You know, I, I, but it's, 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 uh, it, it can, it can be uncomfortable at times, but I, I think, uh, I think I never wanted to overshadow, uh, Kevin and Chris going forward and Jardo going forward. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, and I think about, I tell you what, one of the big things I always thought about was the guys that weren't there that are a part of our team and the fabric of our team. And they weren't there for the shooting and the, and the, the devastation you have for not being there with your team in a situation like this is, I, I think a lot of times that's harder to get over than, than anything else. And, and people that shooting, aren't yeah. part of a team like that, they don't maybe understand that concept, but man, if you're part of a team like that and you're not there and something's happened to your team members and you weren't in that stick and you weren't, you know, had some way to do it, 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 it takes a huge toll on those guys. I, I, I believe. So I was thinking, no, about I agree. That. I think if you're going to bleed, everybody wants to bleed together. You know, yeah. it's, we're all we're all in this together. But hey, and the other thing too, I, it goes without saying, and it's it's standard thing when you get guys like you, they're very humble about it. And I don't even have to ask you what the answer is because I know what it is. But everybody would give back every medal they ever got just to make Kevin whole again, Jardo whole again, you know, yeah. Chris whole again. Nobody wants medals for that shit. Um, you, you want to just go. You want to make sure the piece of shit gets what coming to him. But as for the other stuff, give it all back just to just to have people whole again, because I, I got to tell you, um, you guys saved his life and you, you saved his life in more than one way, too, because we talked about how close he came to ending everything. I asked him a question he hadn't even thought about before because he said he had the gun up to his head and he was counting. You know, this is the day I just counted off one, two, and he didn't quite make it to three. And I just simply asked him, I said, what was going through your head between two and three to make you stop? Mm-hmm. And it. But I think it was everything. I think it was what you guys had done for him. I think it was what his—he didn't want to let his daughters down. Um, 
I think the biggest thing is he did not want to dishonor the efforts. Why, you know, it's one of those things. Why did we go through all of this to save your ass just for you to eat, eat your gun? You know? Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, that's what went through. Uh, that's what was going through his mind. I think before between two and three, cause it, it, you know, it only takes a little bit of pressure, you know, on those weapons, you know? Um, so it's not that much. So, but, but you saved his life more than one way you saved it that day. And I think you, you've saved it later and everything you guys have done have saved his life. And, and I got to tell you, just watching him on camera, going through that pain where that bullet still is, the mm-hmm. spasms he gets, um, how he lives with that every day. It, the only reason he's, he's still alive is because what you guys did, but because of the mental and emotional support you guys in your community have given him. So this is a permanent standing salute that I give you and everybody else there. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I, I humbly accept that. Appreciate yeah, it. It's, it's, uh, Brian, it's been a, it's a true honor to have Kevin and you both on here. And it, this was very, we put this together very quickly. We appreciate you changing your Not schedule. Not hastily, but quickly. Us. We didn't do it hastily. We did it quickly. <laughs> well, we, but we had a, we had a well drawn up operational plan down. to do yeah. all this. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, truly the citizens of, of, uh, of Idaho and Boise are unbelievably fortunate to have you and your colleagues out there protecting them. And you guys as well are ex- unbelievably fortunate to have a community that supports you the way they do. So okay, thanks for coming on Game of Crimes, brother. It's I hope I told Kevin this and tell you the same thing. Hope to get to meet you in person someday. I love that. I, I really appreciate the opportunity you guys are giving me to, to, to speak and you guys are doing a great thing and uh, I support you, I support you wholeheartedly. But you got one more thing you got to do, and I'm going to let you do this. Normally, I do the out, uh, I do you know the close it out by saying, okay, you guys don't go anywhere else. Everybody, stay tuned for the debrief. I'm going to say, you guys don't go anywhere, and I want you to give me your best voice. And I want you to say, everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. All right, so here we go. <laughs> ready? Get you your voice ahead. ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I love it. I love it. Okay, here we go. Ready? Right. Okay. You guys don't go anywhere. Stay tuned for the debrief. <laughs> Fuck it, <A. laughs> I love it. You should be off your sultry. The dispatchers wet their pants when he called in. Remember your guy in retirement. <laughs> I'm Absolutely. Man. All right, guys. We're Thanks, calling brother. it a day. See ya. Man, I just I'm still la- I'm still laughing, not only from the stuff he said, but it's that radio voice. You know, I'm, oh, yeah. I swear to God, I'm pimping him out. When he retires, I'm pimping him out for a 900 number. I'm going to make a ton of money. Well, you heard me tell him right up front there. And, you know, and Javier spoke at, Javier and I spoke at the DEA training academy here a few weeks ago, and met a young man that's about to graduate to become a special agent with DEA, and he had a voice very much like Brian's when he comes up. He's got that radio deep voice, and I'm like, dude, you're the doorman. You are now the door. If you yelled freeze, I'd just, I'd probably pee my pants and fall on the ground. That was Brian. <laughs> and then getting him to do our outro for us. Yes. So, uh, hey, the other th- funny thing, too, just speaking to that, uh, we told you about how long of a week it was, but I forgot to mention um, on the way back, my son was actually, my middle son was in California last week for his job. He was coming back on a plane from somebody from the same conference you spoke at. Mm-hmm. And the dude's going, Yeah, I got to see Murph and, you know, you know, Stephen Javier, you know, yeah. Javi, you know, Narcos, you know, I got this autographed book. And my son kind of looks at him and goes, Yeah, I know my dad does a podcast with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, but he was the guy who was so excited. So I 
They, Props. They, I tell you what, the, everybody we met out there um, from the, the company's Force Point, we'll just give them a little shout out here, were fantastic. They took care of us like one of their own. Couldn't have had a better time out there. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey, if you enjoyed that, head on over again. Do that Apple and Spotify five stars. It's magic. We don't know how it works. All we know is that you put those five stars in. Things happen in the back. Now it's artificial intelligence probably doing all of the stuff. Going to take over the world, but for now, it helps us get those five stars. Also, head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for more information about the show. We update it as we go along. Follow us on social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, and the Instagram. Also, Game of Crimes fans. Type in Game of Crimes fans in Facebook. Head on over if you are deemed worthy by our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato. She will allow you in Entry into the inner sanctum. That's where we have fun. But man, dude, where you got to be is Patreon. Patreon.com/slash Game of Crimes. We're having a blast with that. I tell you, I don't. I I know how many episodes we do of the podcast because we number them. But I don't know how many we got. We got so much. We put out. I was counting it up. We put out at least you know one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, probably ten hours a month of content at at the different levels. You know, uh, Evil is coming, Guardian of the Realm, Warden of the Throne. So head on over there, right, Murph? I mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, the things that we do over there, you know, it gives us an opportunity to voice our opinion a little bit more than we do here because Game of Crimes is all about the heroes telling their stories. Yep. We're just providing a platform. But we get over there and we talk about anything. We we accept suggestions from you, uh, from you guys. The Q&A is a blast. We haven't turned down a single question yet. And I think the last time we did one, we went an hour and a half on that one. Well, thanks so to Alex questions. Hall. Yes, Alex, we had to divide his up over three episodes, I think, or two. <laughs> <laughs> but I said we answer every question, not all in the same episode sometimes, True. but we answer every question. It's a lot of fun, though. A lot yeah. of fun. So head on over to patreon.com slash gamercrimes. And guys, uh, again, you know, just just remember these heroes. If you feel like donating something, um, it's in uh, our Facebook page. You can go to um, uh, several of the charities that they've listed in there, and just just make sure you do something. But again, we want to thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. 